And in a few days later, they're going to be scared out of their minds. They're they're not going to be shouting crucify him. They're going to be hiding. They're hiding, right? And like maybe that's not better, but like it's not the same. It's complex. I'll I'll share my challenge with this day. Oh, look, yeah. Brian's here. <laughs> <laughs> This isn't Shannon and Derek yelling each other about theology. Welcome to our dinner conversation with Shannon. Oh my gosh. If I could just elbow in for a second. Welcome to episode 228 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft brewed pint of fine wine or whatever happens to be in your glass. On today's episode, the Reverends Shannon Weston and yours truly, Brian Burkup, are joined by the inimitable Derek Weston as we address and engage what's happening through a theological lens with a good brew in hand. Whether you're a longtime listener or new to the show, did you know that you can get even more content? They're like, please, God, no. We already, <laughs> starting at $7 a month, you get access to pre and post show banter, a Pub Theology Live pint glass, which Brian is modeling beautifully for us. There you go. And um, you can do that by signing up at patreon.com slash ptlive. So this week, we're going to be talking about nostalgia, Palm Sunday, and the founding of Islam. So we're going to need a drink to do that, I think. We are going to need a drink. Uh, welcome back to the show, Derek, uh, semi-regular right. you know, co-host here. Uh, what, do you, what do you have today? So I have, um, I'm sure you've had this on the show I'm before. I'm sure I have. Um, <laughs> this is a local uh, big oyster brewery, solar power, Belgian style white. Um, it's pretty delicious and, uh, you know, it's a nice sound there. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm drinking. So it's a a wheat you said? Yeah. 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 It's Belgian style wheat, uh, Belgian white. So if you can't have sunshine outside, you'll try to have some in the glass. Exactly. This is like a sunshiny, like solar powered orange. Totally summery. The news is in, folks, and it looks like sunshine in a glass. I got sunshine in a bag. And so it's it's a little bit summer in a glass. This is what oyster. We went we went to the brewery. Um, yeah, big oyster brewery. We went to the brewery a couple years ago in uh, Laos, Luz, Delaware. Delaware. Yeah. I don't I don't know how to say it. It's nice. Anyways, it is nice. Nice place. If you're on a brewery tour, it's near Dogfish Head Brewery. Like I mean, Delaware is like quietly like not a bad spot for craft beer yeah yeah they'll sneak up on you that's true shannon what do you got i have um i haven't had it on the show but it's it's a seasonal so it's back for the season uh monument city brewing's white marble um and it's got a little picture of a very iconic baltimore um stoop on it and it's a belgian style wit um and monument brewing doesn't put clever little commentary on there glasses so that's all i have that's all you got that's all you got yeah (laughs) so brian what are you drinking today 
Well, uh, because we're meeting earlier in the day and because it's the last beer in my fridge, I am drinking uh, Founders All Day IPA. All, All day, day, baby. All day, baby. Which if I made this single beer last all yeah, day. We're all drinking very light colored beers today. Yes. Yes, we are. I'm at a 5.2. Mine's, yeah, mine's six. Yeah. yeah, mine doesn't even get to five. It's like a four and a half or 4.7. There we go. So when I used to do, um, what was the app to untapped? Mm -hmm. When I used to do untapped all the time, it would like give me, I had like all these badges for between five and 10% and like no badges under five. Uh, they're like, you've had two beers under 5%. Like, yeah. I just, I just don't drink beer. That's that. You know. It's kind of like decaf coffee, you know, is there exactly. a point? Like, is there a point? Right. No, no, there's not. <laughs> On to today's topics. All right. So uh, in 40 years, what will people look back on now and be nostalgic for? So when I first read this question, <laughs> I went real dark. Yeah, bring it. <laughs> bring it. It's like sunshine, clean air, <laughs> oceans. <laughs> I was thinking of, uh, this is going to sound horrible, but will there be some people who will be nostalgic for white supremacy? Like I want to, I want to hope that we're beyond. That's that's incredibly hopeful. Actually. Yeah, right. Like like <laughs> I there's a small group of people that were once like, hey, remember when white people were the majority? <laughs> right. I like. I'm not saying I want people who are nostalgic for something terrible, but I want it to be that it doesn't exist. And so, yeah, there are a couple of folks who remember that. Yeah. 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 That'd be. I would. I would love for us to get to that place. Um. <laughs> Well, like, you know, I think we'll, I think we'll be nostalgic about things like TikTok and we'll be nostalgic <laughs> about things like, um, I don't like reels and we'll be nostalgic for things like, uh, you know, kind of. I'm oh, kind see, of, I'm still stuck on, I'm going to be nostalgic for like being able to go outside without covering every inch of. <laughs> Like without a hazmat suit and whatnot. Yeah, I was trying to move on. I was trying to move away from the dark. Okay. I mean, like, all right. Yes. And for us, there's this element of like in 40 years, we're going to be nostalgic for like our kids being little and, you know. Will we wow. be nostalgic for these particular years? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like when them being little, yes. I don't know that we'll be nostalgic for I mean, their teens. Let's okay. So I feel like <laughs> and preteens. Like, how do you always bring us to these places? But like, when there were churches that were full, and when there was oh well, I think we're know, nostalgic for that now. When there were well, things <laughs> like churches, like when there yeah. were right, like when there was you know when I don't I don't know. I think um, land there being a lot of land. Like I think that uh. like land is being built over and over um you'll so you'll miss like wide open spaces or rural spaces yeah yeah i just i just did an interview with um a couple for for my podcast and they were talking about how in their lifetimes and they're they're younger than us they've watched their they're in salt lake city 
and they've watched, you know, wide open spaces turn into suburban sprawl. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to see more and more of that. And I think we'll be nostalgic for, for those wide open spaces and undeveloped spots, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, like small farms are already saying their land is worth more to sell to a developer than it is to farm. Like they're better off. And that's, that's hard. I mean, that's been true for a long time, but I think we're getting to the point now where we're, I'm at least seeing like a crunch where there's less open space already. And then yet there's more. So up by us, up by where our, where my church is and I serve, there was literally like a sinkhole but somebody was like that if I could find a way to fill in that sinkhole and like, like that's a good place for housing. Right. And I was like, you're, I mean, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> like, it's like, this is a terrible that's, that's, idea. That's awful. Yeah. And um, the homes are sold for $600,000. And I'm like, yeah. I hope there's really good insurance on that. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah. Will we be, you, you just wonder what, what technology will look like in 40 years. Derek mentioned TikTok, or will we be nostalgic for desktop computers or laptops or, you know, it's just hard to fathom what will be. I wonder if we'll be nostalgic for going to the movies. Mm. Like I, I already feel like movie theaters are like, we were having this conversation with a friend the other night. Like we only go to the movies for like big event movies that like you want to see the special effects on a big screen mm-hmm. like we don't go to the movie theaters for for smaller things especially like a, a good drama or something yeah i mean like everything that was academy award you know nominated um for like you know acting and and, and, and writing and stuff right. uh we you know we we streamed yeah it's, um, it's good enough on your home 40 or 50 inch tv yeah. Yeah, I mean, Dune was probably the only one that I would have wanted to see on a big screen, and I just didn't really have that much interest in Dune. But um, yeah, we watched it the other night. I slept through about a third of it, but I liked the rest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the way the way people are talking now, we might be nostalgic for meat, like. Oh. You are you are living in a whole nother world than most people. <laughs> I, I listen. I, I I know. I read. I read. I read a lot of things that probably just freak me out, and I should stop reading them. But you know, is that because cows will have gone the way of the bison? Well, just have killed well, them? but I think I think it's more that you're going to have more and more of these billionaires, like like uh, like, Bill, like Bill Gates, who are saying like. We need to make meat in a lab and we need to be making all of our food in a lab. And like, I mean, that's, that's his thing right now. And I'm like, but can meat in a lab feel pain? What's that? Can meat in a lab feel pain? Uh, I suppose if, I suppose if we program it too. I don't know. I don't know. No, I mean, I think the consciousness around meat eating is certainly going to be way high in 40 years and and then if you add in some of what you're saying you might be right you know people will be nostalgic for you know going out and shooting a deer and cutting it up and eating it i don't know yeah i don't know i don't know yeah 
You're right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll tune back in in 40 years to this episode <laughs> and see how much, how much we got right. I mean, there's, there's, there's on like, our, on our like hologram teleportation there's, devices. There's just yeah. big, like, I just really hoping that like 40 years from now is not a dystopic hellscape. Like, yeah. and that we can, we, 40 years ago, that we can come back. In 40 and, years, we'll and, plug ourselves into the matrix and have this conversation <laughs> again. You know, it'll be I fine. Mean, we'll, uh, we'll upload to the hive mind. <laughs> yes. Yeah, will the United States exist in 40 years? I mean, like, who knows? You know, like, things could be totally different. I think 40, yes, but maybe not the way it is now. And it'll. I think it'll take a little longer. I think it might be Sands, Florida, and Texas. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, we might lose California in the process as well. Sure. And that's a little less okay. But nonetheless, like, bye-bye. Yeah. Yep. All right. I'm going to keep us moving here. Uh, <laughs> this coming uh, Sunday is Palm Sunday, uh, beginning Holy Week. And uh, Deb Reinstra, a uh, local um, person here, a writer and theologian, she writes, let's admit it. Palm Sunday is a problem. Why do I always vaguely dread this day? We're asked to joyfully wave palm branches, yet later in the service, if things go as usual, will once again be compelled to play the role of the clueless crowd against our will. Someone, typically the preacher, will scold us for turning on Jesus just a few days later and shouting, crucify him, crucify him. How fickle you are, how quickly you turn away from the Jesus you were just praising. And she says, but wait a minute, I didn't sign on for this role. I'm you know, coming to a worship service and now I'm getting scolded. <laughs> so just the question is, you know, how do we navigate as folks who have been involved in uh, preaching and leading worship, how do you navigate the complexities of, of thinking about this day and how to incorporate that into worship? I'm going to argue with her. Yeah. Do because it. I think that I'm going to, I would ask, is the vague dread about unwillingly like I didn't sign up to be part of the crowd or is the vague dread because we betray Jesus all the time through all sorts of methods of idolatry and turning away and and so is that vague dread because today's the day that I have to go in and sit in it right it is today the day that I have yeah. to even through story, but I have to imagine that that's real. And I don't actually want to admit to myself that I do that. But as people yeah. of faith, we like, we do it all the time. Of course. So I, that, that's my argument with it is that like, I, I would wonder if, if that dread is not, a, is not trying to tap into something bigger uh, a bigger spiritual exploration of your relationship to your faith. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Derek, what, what's your reaction? He's so, going to go in a completely different direction. I am. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I, you know, so I, I thought she was going somewhere and I was about to agree with her, but I'm also going to disagree with her, but uh, for in a, in a completely different direction. <laughs> um, 
the assumption that there's this overlap between the people shouting Hosanna and the people shouting crucify him mm. is kind of the invention of preachers and kind of ahistorical. Mm. And because we, as we've learned more of history, the understanding that while Jesus was coming into Jerusalem from one side, that there was this procession uh, for for Pilate coming in from the other side, which would have had Roman war horses and a and, and a an enormous crowd. Yeah. Um, my guess is that a lot of the people who were cheering crucify him were at the Pontius parade and not the Jesus parade. And, and so I I think there is there is you know this is a moment of expectation of hope that looks different than what we expect and i actually and i think that's totally to be celebrated i think that's totally to be to be revered and held up that our hope and our salvation does not look like what we expect it to look like and that should be the focus of Palm Sunday, mm. that that mm-hmm. what Jesus ushers in is a salvation that looks nothing like what the world is offering. Mm. And 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 that should be, you know, not, like, like let's not let's not, you know, spoiler alert, you know, to to the crucifixion. Let's stay with let's stay in the moment and yeah. say this is a celebration of if 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 the disciples were to be quiet, then the rocks would cry out because all of nature is recognizing what true redemption and true salvation and true healing looks like in this moment. Yeah. And those who have the eyes and ears and will to see it are shouting Hosanna. Um and, and a few days later, they're going to be scared out of their minds. They're they're not going to be shouting crucify him. They're going to be hiding. They're hiding, right. And like, maybe that's not better, but like, it's not the same. Um, so, so I, I, I think that that's a, it's a neat preaching tool to go that like, you went from shouting Hosanna to, you know, so, to okay, shouting crucify him. That's, that's a great way to shame people. Yeah. It's a great bait and switch. But it's a it's kind of an ahistorical. So it's ahistorical in terms of the people in the stories. But I I okay I agree. I'm not okay with shaming people in worship. Let me just put that out there. And do it anyway. Is it not true? <laughs> is it not true that we who are not actually in the story, but we who are in the congregation, yeah, are shouting Hosanna when it suits our our needs and running away or maybe going so far to shout crucify when it does not suit our needs. Is that not also true? Yes, that is also true. Yeah. Yeah. It's complex. Uh, I'll I'll share my challenge with this day. Oh, look, yeah. Brian's here. This is a Shannon and Derek yell at each other about theology. <laughs> Welcome to our dinner conversation. Oh my gosh. If I could just elbow in for a second. No, um, 
you know, so a reading I, that's been compelling to me, and again, I'm not sure, you know, about the historical veracity of this, is that the palm branch was a key symbol for the Maccabean movement, which was a violent revolution against Rome. And so the people shouting Hosanna, waving palm branches, are kind of more along the lines of wanting Jesus to take on Rome head on, like yeah. violently directly. And so they're, they're saying, great, you know, yeah, there's this other thing happened the other side of town, but we're tired of the empire. Here's our guy who's going to lead us to victory over our oppressors. And the fact that at the end, Jesus weeps and says, if only you knew the things that made for peace, but you didn't. And so mm. I've always read this as Jesus doesn't like that they were waving palm branches. So then we shouldn't ask people to do something Jesus didn't like. Wow. So that, that, and so I, I wrestled with that reading of it and I'm open to that not being correct, but it feels somewhat compelling to me. It's super compelling. It's like, that's a, that's a, I mean, because there's a, I mean, other than Jesus telling the disciples to get the cult, like there's a lot of this that feels forced upon Jesus. Hmm. Um, and even the cults, like if I have to do this, let's and, find the most demeaning and, and, animal. Right. Let's find, let's, let's, or maybe not demeaning, but like, like low d- on diminutive, the, diminutive and, yeah. and animal right. and, and ride in as humbly as possible. And, and yet the crowd, and I actually, I, I find that incredibly compelling to think that like this crowd would have been holdovers from, from the Maccabean revolution and would be still in that mindset of violent revolution um, and thinking that Jesus was going to be the head of that, that's, that's actually like. So in that way, that maybe there is an argument to be made that it was the same crowd. There, I mean, yeah, that would, that would take me back. I mean, really, like, like if he didn't, like, they're going to. Right. Well, yeah. he's not going to be it. So we need him out of the way. And anyway, yeah, it, it, and well, that, that just blows my argument, argument out of the water. <laughs> and so I'm just never going to speak on this again. No, 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 no. I mean, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. It's so complex, though. And it is. And I think there's the when Pilate gives them the option of Barabbas or Jesus, like Barabbas was a known insurrectionist. So they're kind of like, well, if Jesus isn't going to do what we ask. Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Give us the guy who will do right. the job. He's going to get this thing in gear. I mean, but how cute are the kids running up and down the church (laughs) with the palm branches? I know. I mean. And and, and that's the real problem here. That's that's the real problem here is that we're having this incredibly complex conversation about what is the meaning of this day. And we reduce it to look how cute the The kids are. are. (laughs) They palms. Like, I mean, we need, we need to bring our churches along to the complexity of, of this day and the complexity of, of Holy week and and how it should be something. But that that takes, that takes me back to her dread though. Cause if we do that, then we have to face it. Yeah, people right? aren't going to so, want to hear something that changes their forty-year tradition of <laughs> of one thing to to be slightly different. And, There's and, totally nostalgic for back when forty years ago, <laughs> when kids were just waving palms around. Exactly. But, <laughs> I mean, I think this hits at something bigger, not just with faith, but it names moments in which we have to name our complicity in systems that are difficult and complex yeah 
right? And so both can be true. Like everything we just said could be true. Yeah. And and the question and the difficulty for a preacher is how to hold all of that in your space, how to say to a congregation, I want to really talk about what's going on here while not shaming and while bringing you along in the process, right? And and cuz let's be honest, if you got rid of the palm branches, like there would be people that would go ballistic in a way that would distract from the reason why you got rid of the prom branches. Yeah. It's one of the few services with like built-in props, like that everyone can sort of do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think what you just said, Shannon is, is important because what, what's, what then becomes incumbent upon those who are leading churches, not me, (laughs) but um, is, is that, that recognition that in that crowd is a diversity. And in that crowd are your 12, one of whom is still going to, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, betray one of whom is going to flee um but you have your hardcore devotees to who jesus is you have those who are there for uh the insurrection you have those who are there hoping and praying but all of them wanting change all of them wanting to see something different and and there's all of these ways that we that are representative ways to push back against empire and like we don't have consensus on what are the best ways to push back against empire right yes and 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 there's a group across town who has a very clear vision of empire that they are holding up and that's so much easier to be in that crowd yeah it's so much easier to do the empire thing and so, like, I, I think what we need to hold is the messiness of what it means to be in either of those crowds on this day and, and the complexity of what it means to be a follower in this moment and and in this particular moment in the history of for Jesus, but what it means, the complexity of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in this moment in 2022, mm-hmm. when there are so many different like yeah. versions and flavors of what it means to 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 do that. And what I think I love, what I love about what you just said connects with like one of the the moment that I love most in the scripture story is the moment where Jesus says when your voices stop, the stones will cry out, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Like, yeah. and it's because this desire for um, right relationship, this desire for harmony, this desire for peace, this this trueness with God, this partnership, this co-creative model, like all the words we want to use, like, it's in the, it's in every, it's interesting. We had this conversation, like it's in every living thing, which even begs to argue that like rocks are alive. Like it's in everything. And, and I love that moment of recognition to say like, that to me is the redemption in 
we, we today, I am the one who cries Hosanna and cheers Jesus. And then I go out into the world and run away. And I go out sometime in extreme ways and completely betray. And, and what is consistent throughout all of that is that there is this underlying nature that still gives praise and honor. And that I am very fallible, <laughs> right? Yeah. And and yet there is a, I am part of something bigger yeah. that will hold me in my fallibility. And that's very compelling. Yes. And, and I think it lets us bring in another prop, which is some rocks that are actually speakers, but look like rocks. And then you can have them cry <laughs> out at the right moment. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but people, you know what? It's funny. <laughs> Because I, I decorate for Lent every year and I've like purple cloth and I've got like palms and I've got a water and basin for foot washing. You know, I've got all these elements and I've got these like yeah um, willow, de like dead branches, right? Willow branches and this pot and all this stuff. And I always put out rocks around it and people are like, why are you putting out rocks? And I'm like, because even See? the stones will cry out. See, you're on top of it. I love it. Like I always have rocks involved. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I where can I get some branches? Like um Michaels okay. fabrics. No, seriously, that's where you get them. You buy them. Very good. <laughs> Layton, I'll I'll send you a picture. Layton apparently is watching because I did actually wonder if you guys were just doing theology between the two of you today. <laughs> <laughs> Hi Layton. Oh, wow. Hi Layton. Wow. Hi Layton, I'm here too. <laughs> I do think that's the opening. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so anything else that um, stands out to you sort of theologically or uh, spiritually or politically in terms of the significance of, of this moment in Jesus well, story? I do want to go back to the palms for just a second. And I know like this is going to sound trite or whatever, but like the pandemic shut down three weeks before Palm Sunday or two weeks before Palm Sunday right? in 2020. And our palm delivery, like it was ordered, they were on their way, right? It was happening. Yeah. And I put them outside the church and said, drive by, pick them up, you know, grab your palm for worship, for online worship and whatever. And I wrote this article about like, use what you have. So our family took a picture of us with little kale branches, you know, in our yeah. house or whatever. And, 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 and what I want to kind of hold in tension with all that we just said about how we've reduced it down to this of, I, like, and I know this may sound like a preacher excuse, but I also want to hold the tradition of this. Um, you know, it really, it really is some of my favorite memory when the church is full and the kids are walking around. And yeah. so, yes, that may have been the original symbol, but it's okay that symbols evolve. Mm. And we can take them on for a more beautiful um, honor. So yes, Brian, to like, do we really want to use this symbol? But if that were true, we wouldn't have crosses anywhere in our churches, right? Yeah. Like we wouldn't have these. I mean, I, I tell this story, but at the church I interned at in seminary, there was this balcony that came up and it was this big, huge church. And you'd walk past the balcony and there would be this moment where this I mean, 40 foot cross or something would come into view 
And I would always think every week as we walked down the aisle, like this is the moment Jesus would run away screaming. <laughs> like this is the moment that Jesus would go, oh my God, this is not what you said it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jesus' PTSD. Exactly. And, and he's out of it. So it's okay if we take symbols and remake them into something beautiful yeah, no, that's that's good so, point. for that's sure problem. and with all and with all of like the season of lent like there's complexities around long-held interpretations of all of it you know yeah. whether we're talking about the crucifixion itself or you know you name it there's just so many different ways that in the history of the church sometimes we've managed to just like turn it perhaps totally backwards and there's other times where we've had deep spiritual insights that continue to be true absolutely so was it really a triumphal entry? Like, because that's the that's the name for it, and Jesus is going to be dead less than a week later. Um, it, you know, in what way? I guess what what prompts that sort of title? I guess is the question. Yeah, I've never really broken down the triumph. Like I conquered, you know. Right. As much as I guess, I just reframed it in my head of celebratory. Or is it that Jesus, like in in contrast with Pilate coming in as the symbol of empire, like Jesus is showing the way of peace is the the true way to triumph or something? I, I think there's something along those lines there that has to be understood of, of we have to, as much as Jesus is asking us to redefine so many things, I think we're being asked to redefine what, what triumph is. And, and triumph isn't the vanquishing of foes. Um, triumph right. is love spreading that turns foes into brothers and sisters. And yeah. um, well, and, and think of the language we use on Easter of victory, the victory won right. is, is a conquering of death. It's like not a victory won over my enemies. Right. And, and I think some people still go there, but that's not the, like, that's not what we mean. I don't, I like, so let's go to a really hard place, right. Of one of the gospels has Judas hanging himself. And I don't think that's the victory one, right. Like that is success in God's eyes in any way, shape or form. Um, and, and, so I still don't like that language on Easter, like any kind of militaristic right. language makes me uncomfortable, just honestly, when it comes to scripture. And if we're going to use it, we have to understand what we're using it about, which is not even God conquering the world. It's about a moment of rewriting, right? Not writing, but writing the 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 relationship between god and humanity mm. and the relationship with, yeah. between god and the world and maybe the relationship between god and the world was okay it just needed to be the relationship between god and humanity um that's the savior language that's the victory language so that to me is this is triumphal because it ends in victory in in a way of a, a process of reuniting to think to to partners that have strayed from one another. Yeah, and, and saying that the way of violence uh, and the way of empire doesn't have the last word, which I think mm -hmm. the resurrection exactly. emphasizes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. All right. I'm going to shift us to another triumphal entry in a different religious tradition. Uh, in 622, Muhammad was forced to flee to Medina uh, from his hometown of Mecca. And yet eight years later, he has a triumphal entry, so to speak, back to his birthplace of Mecca. And he had eventually gained enough followers uh, that he was able to return and conquer uh, Mecca, actually, with around 10,000 uh, military troops. And um, it turned out that the leaders of the town realized we can't defeat this many people. So they just kind of opened the doors and it wasn't a, it wasn't a violent conquering. It just, they allowed him to enter the city and okay. Now well, like January 6th. Now you're in charge. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, <laughs> by the time of Muhammad's death, 10 years after his original migration to Medina, most of the Arabian Peninsula, including his hometown of Mecca had converted to Islam and so he spent the last two years of his life presiding over theocracy, being a political and religious leader, having the occasional divine revelation. And so, and then he kind of died of illness as an old man who had founded a religion and had tons of followers. And so I guess the question is, would Christianity have evolved or grown in the same way if Jesus had also died of old age or illness? Um, So um, a couple of years ago, Derek and I worked with an organization called the ICJS, the Islamic Christian Jewish. The Institute for Institute Islamic for... for Christian Jewish Studies. Studies, right. It's yes. a, we work with the ICJS. Anyway, yes. um, they were trying, they were in the process of hiring a new Muslim scholar. So they invited people from you know, some of their Christian partners, some of their Jewish partners, and some of their Islamic partners to come and hear all the candidates. And, you know, we got to give our opinion of them. And one of them's dissertation was on like this process of conquering like cities during this time. And it's funny because I was like, oh my God, but it was really interesting. And it was what I took away from it was the emphasis that um, the Islamic people had a very um, intentional way of conquering a city in that um, they actually paid their military by like plunder, right? So you go and you take what you, you know, need, but that there were actually rulers, some of the leaders of that um, made decisions on like, you had two hours to get your stuff or you had like they were actually very benevolent in their conquering. And so as you talk about them, like going, we can't defeat this, let's open our doors. I do wonder about some of that in a way of saying, okay, this is going to happen and it's not going to be that bad. So yeah. let's not resist and get us our, get us all killed. But yeah. This isn't the hill to die on. Exactly, exactly, because that's literally what it would have been. Um, yeah, yeah, and I didn't include this line, but after he had uh, secured victory, Muhammad devoted his attention to building a peaceful coalition of tribes dedicated to nonviolence, and I love learning about that. And that's exactly that. what he described, yep. yeah. I love learning about that history, and I think it's so important to counter, you know, the Western narrative that says otherwise. Yes, yes. So anyway, I just want to point that out, that there's, you know, that they worked with people, they worked, again, this isn't always true, right? This isn't exclusively true. And this changed as time went on, but yes. anyway, yes. this, yeah, this the, period of time. Right. 
was the case. But in terms of like the establishment of religions and Jesus growing old versus dying young the way that he did, um, I what is that movie, The Temptation of Christ? It's very the old. Last Temptation. The of Last Christ? Temptation of Christ. Yeah. That imagines. Mm-hmm. Jesus not dying on the cross and having a family and right. It was very controversial. Yes. And, and, and 40 years later, people are nostalgic for it. I don't think. <laughs> are they? <laughs> maybe, so maybe Willem Dafoe is. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, anyway, so. Uh, so I, I'm going to make a really weird comparison here. Yeah. Um, there is this wide understanding by hip-hop fans that like Biggie Smalls and Tupac Shakur are the greatest rappers and a lot of that has to do with when they died right and there's a lot of of holding Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. on pedestals and their influence and a lot of that having to do with when they died when and how they died yeah when and how they died and and so i don't think christianity is what it is with a jesus who lives to old age mm, i agree i i think that there is there is something because the fact of the matter is what made what made the impression on Constantine to to mm. adopt Christianity was the fact that this peasant class of people had this crazy devotion to this guy who died in his early 30s. And they were using that crazy devotion to care for the poor in their communities uplift the you know share things in common to to uh uh not seek political or military power and 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 there was this there was this compellingness about the way and and time that jesus died that i just don't think i just don't think that a jesus who lives to old age you know like it just seems in 2020, like people people seem anymore to live long enough to screw up their legacies. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I like, was thinking that too. Like if he sticks around too long, like hard to hold that divinity. Uh... I mean, I think if he sticks around, it's another sect of Judy. Like it's another... Um, Yes, he's a yeah. long list of like early. He's a long list. Type. Exactly, he's a long list of a prophet who changes Judaism. And 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 maybe, but our, it stays there. And maybe our Jewish friends are talking about him more than we are at at, at this point. Well, yeah, we right. Would, well, we, right, because we wouldn't be talking because right. we, we would. What would we be? We would be like we Zeus, would be Zeus worshippers. Well. <laughs> Brian, you and I would probably be doing things different than Derek would be doing, and we would. That's real. You know, yeah, manifest destiny, whether or not it would have taken place I'd in a different form. Probably and, still be worshiping my ancestors. So that's you know, yeah, wow. which not so bad. Right. I was gonna say. I yeah. Mean, I think 
Although, you know, I, I at least- go far enough back. I at least come from a long line of Celtic and women mystics, so I'm doing all right. Yeah. Uh, Brian comes from Vikings, so I'm not sure what, what's going on with him. Uh, yeah, we're the Dutch Vikings? I don't even know. I don't know either. Norwegian. No, the Dutch were more uh, like- This is not a history podcast. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not even drunk history. We made that very clear today. This is not a history podcast. No. <laughs> No, but I do, I do find it interesting. I think Muhammad is actually a beautiful example of like living to an old age and still having this very faithful religion where he was a prophet. Yeah. And, and what I also just to talk about a couple of random things I love about Islam, like I love how Islam holds that tension of like multiple prophets, even if Muhammad is there, you know? Yeah. Chief, chief, primary, the prophet. prophet, I was going to say penultimate, but he's the ultimate. Yeah, (laughs) but there's this recognition and holding of space for all of these other prophets, and I, I just really admire that. That's one of the things that I actually don't like about Christianity is our inability to make room for um, multiples in terms of. I mean, we have. I, I think if you boiled it down what people think Jesus really is, is Paul. And I mean, you know, at the end of the day, and that's what's lifted up as the highest thing. And, you know, everything else is. Yeah. Christianity is very, has been very good, particularly in evangelical circles of, of being very exclusive. And our way is the only way. And our version of Jesus is the only version and anything else, you know. And as we reform. Forget it. As we reformed, we re, we named new prophet, right? Like John Calvin is now our God and Martin Luther is now our, you know, right? Like we named new people, but we don't necessarily make the space to like, I mean, the UCC came up with that beautiful phrase years ago that they use of like, God is still speaking. Like, right. and that to me was just so simple. It was so profound in its simplicity, right? Of yeah. like, yes, like, if we really believe what we say, like Jesus is still alive working in and through and among. So it isn't about worshiping these words and this thing. We use that to um, understand our full selves and our relationship. So I just, anyway, and I I will note that, that. I will note that, you know, Muhammad did die like two years after that sort of successful return. So it was only two years that he was sort of was ruling in Mecca and had, you know, that's not a long time. You know, you think of Jesus ministry of three years. Um, so kind of once it really became a full religion and, and began to grow, like he didn't stick around that long, even though he was a fair bit older than Jesus. I think he was maybe approaching 60. Um so he was a sort of later in life prophet uh, as compared to Jesus, but the timeline, not incredibly different actually. Yeah. And, and which I think there is, especially when you're living in a time period where death comes so young, you know, like the average age of death was so young that if That's you true. live to 60, you automatically kind of become the wise leader. of. That's your- a very good point area and village. Um, I mean, we still do that, right? People that live to a hundred, like 
we ask them, what's the secrets to all the things, you know, yeah. like we want to know what they, and they rarely have good answers. And, and <laughs> they're like, genetics is keeping me alive, baby. Like, what's wrong oh, with you? Oh, I smoked a pack a day. Right. And... I bake it every day for breakfast. No. And you're like, sweet. The answer is bacon every day for breakfast. I love it. You oh know? my gosh. But, but it's like, we still do that. Like the age just naturally lifts you in wisdom, which as I get older, like, yeah. We, I really we, hate that it might be true. I don't believe that at all. <laughs> we, but we need to lean into it, I think. Because it's the it's the because the older I get, the more I know that I don't have an answer. And the more that I know uh, that I there is no answer, mm. right? And that's where wisdom is and not just knowledge. That's nice. You're welcome. That's good. That is very good. That that might be our final word. I don't know. <laughs> I think it might be. So thank you, friends, for tuning in to Pub Theology Live. You can show your love for the show by becoming a supporter on Patreon. Get access to pre- and post-show banter and more. Visit patreon.com slash ptlive to get started. And a big thank you to our current patrons. Listen anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Our top cities this week are... Fort Dodge, Iowa, where they built a whole fort out of Dodges. Can you believe it? No, I don't think that's true. Amarillo, Texas, and Bryson City, North Carolina. Watch us live Tuesdays on Facebook around 1 p.m. Eastern. Find or create a pub theology in your town. Learn more at pubtheology.com. And until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing. Dodge, if you think about it, like the history, like right, like you can't do that in a fort. Like that's not what forts are for. Like forts, Stop! forts are for the opposite of dodging. You're right. <laughs> if you're in a fort and you need to dodge, it's not a good time. <laughs> I mean, that's not a good fort. Like, hey, get out of dodge. We're in a fort. <laughs> like, fort. where am I supposed to go? Nah, the best fort. I don't even know where that is. Fort Dodge, Iowa. Uh, it's in Iowa. Hey, that narrows it down. I, I, Let's look it up. It doesn't. Friends so in Fort Dodge, thank you for listening. And let us know uh, a good local beer in Fort Dodge. Yeah. I mean, listen, if if there was an actual fort made out of Dodges, like that might be worth one of those fun little tours sure, to go on. that would be worth the trip.